0: Christ is mine forevermore.
1: So friends, we continue on in our sermon series called The Tale of Two Cities. And in this sermon series, we're looking at what it means for us to be the church in the world and to be the church in today's world, which presents all manner of different challenges uh, and some challenges that many of us have not seen in our lifetime uh, but throughout this series, we're looking at some of Paul's letters, uh, you know, just kind of you know, looking at how Paul and the, the early Christians, how they dealt with the realities that they were living in at the time. And, and we find that there's a lot of crossover, uh, that much of what the early church was experiencing is, is a lot of what we are experiencing today. And so scripture has a lot to tell us, a lot to share with us, a lot of truths to, to point to. But today we find ourselves in Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, he's writing a letter to the, the church in Rome. Uh, and, and we find that this letter of Paul's is probably the most detailed. He gets, he gets into the nitty gritty details of, of what it means to follow Jesus. But today I'd like to read just uh, four verses from chapter 8. And chapter 8 in Romans is one of my absolute favorite chapters in all of Scripture. But it starts off like this. Hear these words of Paul. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Will you pray with me? Holy God, help us to see you and hear you in and through your scriptures. Help us to live a life in the Spirit. God, speak to us here and now, that we would be transformed. All in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So A Tale of Two Cities, the the classic historical novel by Charles Dickens. We've talked about it in the last few weeks. How The the opening statement uh, in in this novel, it it says it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It goes on and on. But this is an appropriate description, I think, for the world that we live in today, for what we experience of the world today. So throughout this sermon series of the same name, we're, we're looking at the relationship between the church and the world. And it really is a tale of two cities, two seemingly different and uh, seemingly opposing cities, the, you know, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this world. But are they strictly opposed? Or are we to understand our role as the church in the world a little bit differently? But throughout this series, we've been using... The parable of the leaven that Jesus, uh, Jesus gives to his disciples, the parable of the leaven to, to guide us in how we talk about and understand how we interact with the world around us. And as leaven, as, as yeast, you know, we find that, you know, leavening is, is separate from the dough to be leavened, but nevertheless, it's dispersed throughout the dough to bring it to, the, to life, to transform it into something else completely. This is the role of the church in the world. This is our role in the world. But like yeast, we first need to be activated. We need to be transformed in order to be sent out into the world as agents of Christ's transformative work through the Holy Spirit. So we've been talking about some things that it is imperative that we get right as we seek to be leavening agents of transformation in this world. So we've talked about freedom. And we talked about how freedom is the freedom to be who God created us to be. And if we use our freedom to any other end, in reality, we are enslaved to ourselves. And we've talked about identity. Our identity is primarily in Christ. Primarily, ultimately, first and foremost, before anything else in Christ. And understanding our identity in this way It causes us to evaluate everything, everything first through the lens of Christ. Today, as we continue on in this series, we're going to talk about, as I said, everyone's favorite topic, right? We're going to talk about sin. And though there are some some hard truths all of us need to hear in order to move forward, in order to be activated and move forward, there is some good news coming. So you can't leave. Those at home, you can't turn off your computer. Uh, we've locked all the doors from the outside here, so nobody can leave. You're, you're stuck. But the truth is that we, we don't talk much about sin. We don't often talk about sin. You know, we use the word sin, sinful, sinner, but we, I think, do we really understand what those words mean? And do we take sin seriously enough? To impact this, we're going to look at the community of Jesus followers in first century Rome. And and it was a very important community. Because Rome was the epicenter of the empire. The very central, just where everything emanated from. All the wealth and power was, was centralized in the city of Rome. And to have Christian communities there in the city was was a big thing. But at its height, Rome was was comprised of about two million people. You know, truly a, 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 an enormous city. Uh, and it was truly a melting pot of all different tribes and races and ethnicities and, and, and religions and all of that. And the Roman Christian community. That found itself there was a reflection of this, right? Incredibly diverse in its makeup. There were a large, there was a large percentage of Gentiles, and right when we say Gentiles, you know, we're saying we're talking about anybody who's not a Jew. There was a large percentage of non-Jews. So Paul, as a Jew, he had to get a bit more detailed in his letter to the churches there. That's. As, you know, he gets into the, the nitty-gritty, explaining the background of a faith in Jesus so rooted in the Jewish faith. But the Christians in Rome were also a minority. That almost goes without saying. So Paul is proclaiming faith in Jesus in a place that required required the worship of Caesar. So we know that the Roman Christians experienced a lot of opposition, even persecution. But In the first part of his letter to the, to the Roman Christians, what, what comprises the first seven chapters, Paul is breaking down the nature of Jesus' salvation and how they are to understand sin and their lives in Christ. So he makes the, the earth-shaking statement. It's a statement that is the foundation of, of our faith lives as, as Protestant Christians. And he makes this earth-shaking statement that their salvation is a gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus. Not by adherence to the law. They are now under the law of the Spirit. Not the law of sin and death. When Paul talks about the law of sin and death, he's talking about the Torah. The first five books of the Bible. And the law was everything to the Jews. It was their story. It was the guiding light for how they were to live. But much of it was also a long, laborious list of things to do and things not to do. And as such, the, the law was convicting. right? It, you know, it often brought about guilt and shame and condemnation. The real, realization was that no one can live up to the requirements of the law. It was so demanding. How could anyone possibly live up to all 613 laws? And so it became a burden, pronouncing judgment and condemnation, while also not truly getting to the root of the human problem of sin. In in essence, you can't fix the human condition by trying harder. I think that doesn't take sin seriously enough. By contrast, Paul, he proclaims the the law of the Spirit. The the same Spirit that sets people free from the law of sin and death. Through faith, simple trust in Jesus. Paul, he takes sin very seriously. Seeing the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as exposing and conquering sin and death completely. Now, when Paul is addressing sin to the Romans, he focuses not so much on individual acts of sin, but on sin as a state of being. What it is, in other words, that separates us from God. And he talks about the flesh, right? He he talks about the flesh as, as the body that is misused in ways that separate us from God. So, you know, that's the first seven chapters. Then we get to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, Paul gets to the root of sin. And chapter 8, it starts with a therefore. Now, whenever you encounter a therefore in Scripture, you know that whatever follows is going to be pretty important, right? It's, it's, it's part of a causal statement, right? He's saying, because of the accomplishments of Christ, because of what Christ has done, therefore, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who trust in Him. Those who have received the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul's saying that the judgment has occurred and the prisoner in bondage has been sentenced. But there's no more condemnation. No condemnation. Instead, there is life. The real Full life of Christ lived in the Spirit. You know, we, we often hear the word sinner. We often tend to think in moralistic terms. You know, a sinner is just a, a terrible person. We think about it in this way rather than as a kind of a theological state of being. You know, in Genesis, we learn that God created out of love. That God created us for relationship with Him to love God, to choose God. And love is only love when it is given and received freely. Which means we are free to love God, to choose God or not. So we are free to step away from God. Which is the very definition of sin. Or free to choose God, to draw near to Him. The state of sin that Paul describes is the same state of sin that we encounter the very first pages of Scripture, chapter 3 of, of Genesis. And it's the same state that we find ourselves in. Broken, sinful, fallen, sinners, you know, As Paul says, I, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to because of the power of sin. You know, sin separates us from God. And there, you know, there's really nothing we can do on our own power to restore that relationship. It's been so marred, so severed. Only God can do that. And here's the good news. He has in and through Jesus. And so there is no more condemnation. It is wiped out for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus died for us and everyone else to restore the relationship between God and us. You know, whereas the the Old Testament law was there to maintain a right relationship with God, you know, that was what it was intended to do, but it failed. Instead, Jesus has made the restoration of our relationship with God complete. You know, when we first encounter the grace of Jesus, it exposes our sin. It shows us in love how far we are from God. It then convicts us of our distance from God. It convicts us of sin's weight and seriousness. And when we experience this, we can often experience guilt and shame and condemnation. But that guilt and shame and condemnation is not from God. That's what we put on ourselves. Because the reality is that in Jesus we are redeemed by God's grace. So, this is the tension that Paul points to and that we live in. You know, we are sinful, fallen, broken, but we are redeemed by God's grace through simple trust in Jesus. This, as it turns out, is exactly what humility is. This is the nature of Christian humility. The humility as a virtue. Uh, A virtue that's in, in short supply these days. And when we look at the world and try to discern the church's role in it, I think we have to start there. With true humility. It's missing from the world, I think, because followers of Jesus aren't fully living it out. The world is missing out on the relationship with God that we were created for. And it's a relationship that says, yes, I am a sinner, I am broken, I am fallen, but in Christ Jesus, I am redeemed. Not by my own will or power, but by the gift of God's grace. To understand this, to understand the reality of our human state will be the beginning of healing so much of the interpersonal conflict so much of the, the division that we all see and experience in the world around us i think it's the first step to becoming leavening agents of transformation in this world to understand in humility that we are sinful yet redeemed allows us to one see that see what we dislike or even hate in another we might disagree with as sin And then two, to see that that is the same sin that often resides within each one of us. The ugliness of the rhetoric marks the the, the uh, mean-spirited demeaning and and dehumanizing of others that has been just taken a whole other level the last several months. All of this must be called what it is. Sin. As Jesus followers, we cannot participate in any of this. Because we would be answering sin with sin. We know that sin cannot drive out sin. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only the love of Christ can do that. We see this sin on full display everywhere around us, in our individual lives, even within us. But sin is not just an individual problem. It's much deeper, much more pervasive, much more serious than that. We've dug into chapter 8 of of Romans before, but but we read in chapter 8 of Paul talking about all of creation being held in bondage to death and decay. And that creation itself groans as in the pains of childbirth to be released from that bondage. You know, all of creation is marred by sin. It's fallen. It's broken. The astonishing truth that Paul points to is that we, as the church, as Jesus followers, have a role to play in its redemption. What we are experiencing in the world right now, I think, presents us with quite a challenge. You know, a challenge that many, if not most of us, have not had to face in our lifetimes. Faith is becoming more and more difficult each and every day. It's becoming more and more difficult to ignore the brokenness in this world. We are constantly reminded of the pervasive systemic sin in our midst, in the world around us. Right, the hatred, the lies, the demeaning and the dehumanizing, the name-calling, the coercion, the violence, the complete disregard for other people. All of this is just running amuck right before our eyes. And the easiest response to all of this, and I say this because this is my natural go-to, the easiest response is to become cynical. That's the easiest response. It's easy to shut down and to crawl inside our our holes of selfishness and hide behind our cynicism. But this just points to another sin that is just as pervasive. The sin of omission. See, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. But then he qualifies that statement By saying, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. It's clear from Jesus' words that the sin of omission is a failure to love. It's a lack of response to the brokenness, to the injustice, to the sinfulness of the world that we see around us. It is choosing the love of self over the love of God and our neighbor. And I think it is is clear that the church is just as guilty of the sin of omission as we are for things we outright do that lead us away from Christ. You know, much of the unrest that we see around us today can be attributed to the church failing to live out its calling to love and care for the least, the last, and the lost, and over many, many years, right? Somewhere along the line, We've slowly gotten away from being vessels of God's grace and mercy in this world in in those ways. Faith has become, in many ways, purely private, at least in the West. And we largely are failing to live out our faith in Jesus in real, tangible, kingdom-building ways. Think about the early church and how they lived. Uh, we have many accounts from the, the first few centuries of the church. But they faithfully undertook their calling to follow Jesus to the point where even the pagan emperor, uh, Julian, in the, in the middle of the 4th century, so around 360, 361, while he was persecuting Christians, right? he commented that these Galileans, this is what he called the early Christians, he said these Galileans love not only their own, but our people as well. Think about hospitals. Hospitals were the result of Christians caring for the sick and the dying, even in the midst of many of the pandemics of the middle age. Right? It was was the Christians who were caring for the sick and the dying. Schools were the creation of Christians who sought to educate the poorest among them. And throughout the church's history, Christians have been the ones to provide for those who endure hunger, homelessness, loss, addiction, etc. Living out the life of Christ in real, tangible ways. Being leavened in the midst of the world. Transforming the world from the inside out. Not by coercion, not by force, not through violence, but through sacrificial love. A love that loved even their enemies. Even unto death. You know when the church loses its way, or fails to fully live into its calling, and we see what we see today. You know if you, if 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 you, if you won't cry, the the rocks will cry out, right? And so we see other non-Christian you know, see, these folks, their voices are doing what the church should be doing. You know, many of these folks are are filling the void left in in the care for the least and the marginalized. They are advocating for the disenfranchised, for the powerless. But there's a problem, I see. That many of these folks and much of what's being done is being done, at least currently, through means of coercion, through means of violence, through means of force. You know, all along the ideological spectrum of our world today, more and more people are advocating the use of violence, coercion, force, to accomplish these ends, their ends. But we know... That writing the sins of the world cannot be accomplished through sin. Hate does not overcome hate. Sin does not overcome sin. You know, when the authorities came to arrest Jesus while they were in the garden, zealous Peter, you know, knucklehead Peter, he's just getting into all kinds of trouble all the time. He took out his sword and started flailing it around and he cut off the the temple guard's ear. And Jesus, He said, Peter, put your sword away. All right? That's not the way. And then He healed the temple guard's ear. For his faith has become more and more difficult, and it becomes more and more difficult by the day. And I don't think any one of us can pretend to have all of the answers for what plagues the world. I do know, however that Christ is at work. And Christ is at work in and through His church. And I know also that we cannot fall into the sins of speaking ill of our neighbors, of demeaning and dehumanizing, the sins of coercion or force or violence. We cannot fail to care for and advocate for the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the least, the last, the lost. So I think for us, you know, as a starting point, we have to start in a spirit of humility. Acknowledging that the the sin out there is the same sin that resides in here. And in humility, confess the ways that we have fallen short. Confess our sins, what we have done and what we have failed to do. And then seek for the Holy Spirit to lead us In living out our lofty calling as leaven in this world. Witnessing to the fullness of Christ's kingdom here on earth as in heaven. Amen. Friends, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, um, I want to invite you, as you feel led, uh, the altar rails open. Um, I think it's good for us from time to time to just get on our knees before our Lord. Confess the ways that we have fallen short personally, but as a church as well. We fail to love as Christ is loved. So this altar rail will be open if you feel so led to come and just, just spend time confessing the ways maybe you have fallen short. But then also approach Christ knowing that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And leave that altar rail made new made made just fresh, experiencing the fullness of the Spirit in a new way, being prepared to be sent out in the world as a leavening agent of Christ's kingdom. But friends, as I pray, I invite you to come as you feel led. Holy God, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We praise you for the ways that you pour out your mercy and your grace upon us when we don't deserve it. That, God, you draw us near to you despite the ways that we seek to separate ourselves from. you. But, God, in this day, we hope to experience the fullness of life in you. We confess the ways that we have fallen short. God, as individuals and as a church, we confess the ways we have failed to love as you love. But, God, help us to be your church. Holy Spirit, breathe new life into us. God, bring to to mind ways that we can serve and love as you serve and love. God, help us to love the least, the last, the lost in our midst. Help us to love, God, even our enemies, freed from the sins that just pervade this world around us. And God, help us to also live into this life in in a, a spirit of joy knowing that you walk with us, knowing that you go ahead of us, knowing that you are at work redeeming your creation. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Amen.
0: Numbered, I was made to walk with him. Yet I look for worldly treasure and forsake the King of. Through the valley I must travel Where I see No earthly good But mine is peace That flows from heaven And the strength In times of need I know my pain Will not be wasted Christ complete work in me mine are days here as a stranger pilgrim on a narrow way one with Christ I will encounter harm and hatred for his name is armor for this battle strong enough to last the war and he has said he will deliver safely to the golden shore and mine are keys to Zion city where beside Its treasure, Christ is mine forever.